welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today we will be going into the Salt and Light closet and pulling out some of our favorite conversations from the fall of 2021. First off, we're joined by author Carissa Douglas, who tells us about the latest installment of the Little Douglings book series, The Lair of Illusion. And then we reconnect with singer-songwriter and guitar master Fred Cacciotti. In our second half hour, we learn all about the Exodus 90 program, an ascetic and challenging spiritual program for men. And at the end of the program, we're invited to enter the wonderful world of Benjamin Cello. Remember that you can listen to all our programs at eselmedia.org slash podcast. You can also reach me via email, pedro at eselmedia.org, but also through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just look for Deacon Pedro. We begin now with the latest book, in the Little Douglings series. Carissa Douglas and her husband Patrick have 14 children, and as the children were growing up, in order to help them learn about the faith, Carissa began telling them and writing stories. This has evolved into the Little Douglings, a series of adventure books based on the children. Last time Carissa was here on the program, she told us about the first one of the young adult novels, because some of the children are now adolescents. It's titled The Mystic Informant. It's a book about the battle of good and evil featuring St. Padre Pio. Now the second book is out. It's called Lair of Illusion, which tells an adventure with the six eldest kids. And St. John Henry Newman guides them from the shadows and illusions into the truth. It's such a fun read. And to tell us more, I'm now joined by Carissa Douglas. Carissa, welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. Hi, it's great to be here. It is. So tell us quickly, what what is Lair of Illusion about? Okay, so Lair of Illusion takes all the amazing kind of supernatural, but um, very natural within our faith aspects, um, the tools and gifts of the spirit. And basically, it um, God selects a group of children and he gives them a mission. And this mission, on this mission, they'll be able to access a lot of these spiritual tools, but almost in a visual way, in a way that it's tangible, that they can, they can see the fruits of all their prayers. And they'll be joined by St. John Henry Newman, as you mentioned, and he will offer them the insight needed to accomplish their mission. And this one, this book is really interesting because it's a mystery. You're not quite sure who is causing havoc, who has a malicious dark plan. So they're not exactly sure who they're up against. Um, but then also they realize they're going to be pulled into a spiritual world where they will have to actually battle their way through to try yeah. to rest. Yeah. So it, it gets really, I, I was going to say, it, it got a little, so yes, a kind of a, a little sort of fantasy. I mean, there's a little sort of fan, fantastical there element is. there. Um, yeah. I, I have some more questions about, about the story, but can you remind us uh, how do you write these books? Do you do, are the children helping you write them? What is that process like? So um, I, I always feel like I'm at the complete um, grace of the Holy Spirit, because I'm the type of writer who just begins writing, not sure where we're going. Mm -hmm. And, and I take my kids mm -hmm. along on the journey. So I have this really this built in set of beta readers because um, yeah. I'll write a chapter and then they'll all come around and say, have you finished the chapter? And I say, okay, let's read it. So I'll read it and I'll gauge kind of their, 
reactions to it, which is interesting because they usually it's a great thing because they're able to affirm whether or not this is exciting enough or good enough. Right. Um, sometimes it means disapproving too. Like um, I think the first book, Mystic Informant, it had a totally different ending because one day one of my daughters came in and she was teary eyed. She was crying and she said, it's a good book. She's like, it's a good ending. She's like, but it's just, there's a sad element and I don't want that to happen. And I was like, no, but it's good. Can you see the good that's coming from it? And she's like, yeah, but no, it's, I don't like it. Can you change it? And so I had to change the ending because she was really impacted. And I, I was kind of worried about maybe the other little readers out there who might be like, this is a little bit too much. And so so they are very much a part of it in terms of their feedback. And I I do listen to them, but it works really well. Do they give you suggestions as to like what they think would happen? Or, I mean, you're writing about them. So they might say, well, I would never do that or. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of the characters are fairly true to them. And, and um, there's, there's one time where one of my daughters was like, you always, you always get me to be impulsive. And she's like, I'd like to a little bit of reserve and I'm like okay <laughs> I think we can work that in so like it's it's a really different process probably for most writers and because um I am an illustrator too right sometimes sometimes it actually starts with an illustration and and I find the story there which okay. is it's also very interesting now now you said that you you start writing not knowing where it's going to go but you must have an idea of what at least the theme is I mean, the mm-hmm. first the first book was about the battle between good and evil. This one's about finding the truth. So, so how did you come up with with a theme? Is that something you also talk to some of your kids about? Um, it's really a theme that's often just put on my heart. Like I knew okay. I and also it's a perception of what's going on in, in society, too, that sometimes it's a it's something that's kind of been that I've been wrestling with. And, and I know that we're supposed to face a certain particular evil. And it's interesting because I think the missions that the the children are sent on oftentimes reflect a reality that's happening in the greater world. And give an example of that. So for Mystic Informant, um, I was really pressed um, with the, I guess the, uh, I want to say the battle against um, the family and against the culture of life. And, and I felt like sometimes I encountered that darkness and, and I thought it would be really great to help children have, I guess, a story where they're able to stand up to that darkness and to, to represent and to fight for life. And so it was, uh, I didn't know who the villain was when I started. I didn't know um, right. who was behind everything, but I knew that there was something there. And I think when I finished writing it, um, that the darkness that they face is, is the reality that's out there right now. So I think some of my kids say the stories are, I mean, they're a little bit scary. And I think what makes them so scary is the fact that, you know, there's an awareness that there is this good and evil out there. And there, there are certain forces that especially Catholic families are facing and fighting against. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I love the idea that every story uh, has a features a saint. So how do you come up with a saint? I mean, obviously it's a saint that has to do something with the theme, but how do you come up with this? How did you come up with St. John Henry Newman? So it's funny because I sometimes start out thinking it's going to be one saint. um, And I try to get to know that saint. But then for some reason I can't connect with them. And I'm like, 
maybe it's not time for that saint. And so I, when I started with Lair of Illusion, I think I was going to be starting with um, uh, St. Jose Maria Scriba, I thought would be a wonderful characters I was reading about and trying to get to know him, but I just, it was almost like everything kept saying not yet. And then at the same time, um, I remember going to, I think it was the Cardinals dinner and uh, (laughs) our Cardinal um, just loves, he absolutely works on Henry Newman. So he's and he was talking about this this idea of like stepping out you know into the darkness and not being able to see except for the one step ahead of you and I had this all of a sudden I saw all the characters in this place and there was fog and everything was going on and I'm like that's it I think St. John Henry Newman is is asking to to be the saint for this I love that and it was amazing so I find that sometimes saints try to reach out to you Mm -hmm. and um, and it felt like that that was happening all, all of a sudden his icon would appear somebody gave me a gift yeah I love that I, I love that I, I love yeah. that idea that and a I saint know, a saint wants to be in your story that's great right. and a saint wants <laughs> to kind of meet you and they want to actually get to know you and yeah and I really felt like that happened it was everywhere everywhere I looked somebody you know gave a, a quote from him or or all of yeah. a sudden I read something and and I I felt like okay this is a kindred spirit this is somebody yeah. I want to get to know yeah um you are you already working on the next book? I am, <laughs> and uh, she's a great saint. It's finally it's a girl. Oh <laughs> yes, good. This one is. I think I read a quote from her, and, and I felt so connected to her. The quote was, "The reader must have patience with me, as I have with myself when writing about things of which I know nothing. For really, I sometimes take up my paper like a perfect fool, with no idea what to say or how to begin." I'm not meant for writing. I have neither the health or the wit for it. And that's oh actually gosh. great writer, St. Teresa of Avila. Yeah, I was going to ask if it was St. Yeah. Teresa of Avila. <laughs> and I, yeah, that's great. I, I love her. Like, we get each other. Oh, <laughs> she's good. Bad. She's a great feisty character. Excellent. And um, I started reading her, um, The Interior Castle. And so because the books always compose of kind of two dimensions, they compose of, they're composed of the real world of a natural kind of, I shouldn't say real world, yeah. our world that we're aware of. The physical and world. Also, um, they're able to enter a spiritual world in a physical way. And yeah. so for this one, the interior castle might just be the perfect destination. Okay, I like that. Don't say any more. Yeah. We want people to, to have expe- expectations. Um, There's and a hof- lot more going on there. Hopefully so. next year, secrets. next year we can have you back. Carissa, thank you so much. Uh, I'm very excited. Always fun to read about uh, your children's adventures. And uh, thank you for sharing uh, a little bit about the process with us today. Thanks for having me. This is great. Carissa Douglas is the author of the Little Douglings book series. The latest book is Lair of Illusion, published by Scepter Publishers. And you can find out more and purchase the books at littledouglings.com. And to listen to the full interview, in case you missed part of it, go to slmedia.org slash podcast. Here now is Fred Cacciati with Dancing in the Light from his album River of Mercy.
Fred Cacciotti with Dancing in the Light from his album River of Mercy. Fred Cacciotti has been playing guitar all his life. In high school, he played with a band called The Beasties and then played with the rock band Taxi for many, many years and then played with the band Homestead. I met Fred a bit over 20 years ago as we were preparing for World Youth Day 2002. Fred led a group called Spirit in Motion, and they played for a few of the main events with Pope John Paul II. Inspired by that occasion, Fred wrote two songs that we already heard, Spirit of Fire and Dancing in the Light. Dancing in the Light received the Gospel Music Association of Canada Instrumental Song of the Year Award. Now, Fred is working on a new website that will feature all his instrumental tracks, gospel, blues, Celtic, jazz, classical, and so it was a good excuse to have him on the program, and so I spoke with Fred Cacciotti on the phone earlier this week. Fred, it's so good to have you on the Salt and Light Hour. Welcome. And I am glad to be here, Pedro. It's so I can't believe it's been almost 20 years. We're not that old, are we? (laughs) (laughs) I'm young in spirit. In my mind, I'm 25, but some mornings I'm a lot older than that. (laughs) Absolutely. Did you, um, growing up, I know that you were already playing uh, with a rock band in high school. Did you want to grow up to be a rock musician? I sure did. In fact, in those days, I wanted to be a rock star, Uh not just a rock musician. And uh, I, every chance I had, I had my guitar hidden under my bed and when all the other oh, yeah. kids were playing uh, football and baseball and all the rest of the hockey, I was playing my guitar. So that was my only thing I dreamt about. So did you, I know you took guitar lessons. Was that something that your parents kind of made you do or did you want to play guitar? I wanted to do it because I wanted to be the best. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, and you were pretty good. You were described as the, what was it? The the best kept, the best lead guitar, rock guitar player that, that <laughs> of all time in 1968. What was it? Yeah, the actual wording, it was in 1969. At that time, the Toronto Telegram was in competition with the Toronto Star. And the lead rock critic, Richie York, described me when I was in taxi as the greatest undiscovered rock guitarist of all time. That's wonderful. Look at you. And that was, I mean, you're still, I keep, I always talk about Fred Cacciotti, the guitar master, because when I first heard you play, you were, and it was a Celtic tune that I don't, I don't know how fast your fingers were moving. I don't even know. It was just like like a blur, but it was so phenomenal. And then to find out that you were just as, as capable of whether it was classic kind of Spanish guitar or rock. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Did you, did you, I mean, you, you have such a, can I say a, a, a accomplished musical career? Um, did, did, did you find that it was difficult to maintain? Cause you were Catholic all, all along. To and it was very faith. difficult because all the other fellows in the group were all going out and having a great time. You know what I mean? And yeah. uh, I, because of my upbringing, was not like that, and therefore I stood to how I was brought up as a Catholic, and uh, my wife is Catholic as well. We've been yeah. married 51 years, if you hey, can believe congratulations. that. Congratulations. So, I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, uh, and you know what? Uh, I got to meet some of the greatest artists in the world 
in only five years that I was in the professional rod business, mm -hmm. and most of those people were right down to earth. They didn't have, because yeah. in those days, it was stupid to get autographs, so nobody got autographs. We just <laughs> had a good time. You know, we played together. We jammed together. We had a great time, and, and I'll tell you, one thing that you have to mention is that if people want to go to the website, uh, there's a new kind. It's not new. It's old. It was brought out in 1930 mm. by by uh, his by name of uh, Django Reinhardt. It's called Gypsy Jazz, yeah. and it is by far the greatest music I have ever heard in my life. Like for int intricate uh, uh, passages, you, you'd never heard anything like it. No, so, it, it, so it's, it's unbelievable. It's like a, a a musical genre, maybe early early fusion before anybody was talking about musical fusion. I'm, I'm telling you, Fredro, if you uh, listen to that that music, you won't listen to anything else. That's all I listen oh, to. Oh, okay. I look forward to that, and we're gonna we're gonna get to talk about the new website in a little bit. But I wanted to know. Who 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 would you say is like the best or most amazing uh, musician that you ever got to play with? That's a good question. That really is. Um, you know what? I never. Uh, how can I say this? I think because I loved blues so much in mm -hmm. those days, and uh, my the best guitar I ever purchased in my life was stolen, oh. and I love blues music so much. I think BB uh, King, you oh. know, in terms of blues guitar, because I, I mean, I, unbelievable. We we actually played with him at oh um, at Massey Hall, wow. which, which, as you know, is just yes. it's just coming back. I think the the person that played it the most is Gordon Lightfoot, I believe, and I think. He's even coming back and doing another show there. But we got to play there. And I'm yeah. telling you, that has got to be the best sound I have ever heard in my life. I don't know what it is, if it's the wood or how they've got it. It's a great, great venue, Massey Hall. Yes. Wow. And you got to play with B.B. King. That's amazing. What an experience. Definitely. And then you got to play, then fast forward, I don't know how many years, in 2002, you got to play for John Paul II. Man, that was the best experience I've ever had in my life, Pedro, because I admired the man so much. Uh, the man, now he's a saint, God saint, bless him. Yes. I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, to have that privilege to be there, and you know that you were there, yes. and you were, you were responsible for a lot of the stuff that was going on. So both of us went through an incredible experience. And the reason that I was so inspired to write Dancing in the Light and Spirit of Fire, yeah. I saw all those young people from all over the world praising God, you know, and it, it inspired me so much. I had to write something to show that, you know, people could come and, and be together and praise God. Yeah, wonderful. And it's it, it it it's it's amazing that it inspired you that experience to go and then write something. And and I'm I'm intrigued because you wrote these are instrumental pieces. You think that it would have inspired you with words, but it didn't. It inspired you with 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 music and rhythm and you know the reason why pedro the reason was when i looked out across and it was, you know there was like between 800 yeah. and a million 800,000 people yeah. million people i have no idea i don't know what the exact count was but yeah when they swayed 
you know, they were swaying back yeah. and forth, you know, to the music, etc. That required some type of a, a really bright instrumental piece, oh. and I chose the classical guitar yeah. for for that one, Dancing in the Light. And here's the big one: the Canada um, Gospel Music Association yes. award, awarded me with Instrumental Song of the Year for Dancing in the Light. That was in 2006. Yeah, I remember. And I, I know there's been other Catholic artists. I think Critical Mass got in a Covenant Award as well. But there were some other artists, not many Catholic artists, that won no. Covenant Awards. But I was the first, I believe, no, I could be wrong, the first uh, Catholic uh, instrumentalist to ever win Instrumental right. Song of the Year. I, I, I don't know. I think you're right. And no, it's possible. But and uh, yeah, I remember that. So the Covenant Awards are the Canadian Gospel Music Awards. Um, I know, I know, it was a phenomenal experience. Uh, World Youth Day. I know we could we could talk hours and hours just on on those experiences. Um, but tell me a little bit in the little time that we have. Tell me a little bit about the new website and why you felt. I mean, you have all these recordings. Why did you want to put kind of put them together in a website? Okay, I'm going to try to get this as short as I possibly can. I'm going to have a lot of time. Yeah. Anyhow, so what happened was about a year ago, and, and this was diagnosed about two years ago. I've got CPPD, which is which is basically calcium buildup on the joints of my hands. So I haven't played guitar for a whole year. Up until about two months ago, I started playing again. And what happens is it stops your fingers from bending. So that means that I couldn't play anymore. So I said, what am I going to do with myself? I said, I know. I will build, not myself, but I'm going to get someone to build a website. And I'm going to do it so that all the money, if people like the music that they hear, can donate whatever they want to Covenant House. Because Covenant House, because young people, just like World Youth, they have always been very dear to me. And that there's so many street kids living on the streets of Toronto mm. that need help. And Covenant House has been there for over 50 years, yes. helping them with food, shelter, clothing, uh, you know, educational programs. And some of them are, are trafficked and sexually abused. So I want people to come to the website, listen to the music, and donate so so Covenant House can do their job and help these young kids. And the average age of these kids is 17. Yes. So it's not like, you know... And it's a horrible thing, but a lot of them sleeping in the streets. I mean, it's not a good thing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's wonderful. So you're sharing not only, I mean, so you're not just sharing your music, but you're doing it for a cause to support Covenant House. The primary purpose was to raise money for Covenant House. The secondary purpose was so I'd have a place to play the music I could finally have a chance to play because you know and I know Pedro in the Catholic Church there are rules yes. <laughs> you can only play yeah, that's you right. know, a certain way right that's so, I mean, right. if I got up there and played Gypsy Jazz they'd knock me off the altar right? that's There's right no way. that's right I can um, do that we're gonna Fred we're gonna end the we're gonna end the show with a song that you were very particular about us we need to end the show playing woman it's not a song that you could play at church um, but it but it really show it really shows off your 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 skill uh, in on the electric guitar as a lead rock musician. Tell, tell us oh, about that. By song. the way, woman, woman is Bill King's wife. So I don't <laughs> okay. want to have, don't want to have any think, thinking there. This is, you know, one of these affairs going on here. No, he's singing to his wife. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to end it with that song. Fred, it's been so great connecting with you. I'm really excited about listening to all the music, particularly the gypsy jazz. Um, and uh, that will be coming in the next months and years. Believe me. Exactly. So I'll, I'll let everybody everybody know what uh, the website address is, uh, where they can go and support you and support Covenant House. Fred, thank you so much, and God bless. And God bless you. 
That was a conversation I had with Fred Cacciati on the phone earlier this week. You can find out more about Fred at the website that he's creating, fredcacciati-guitarist.com. And Cacciotti is C-A-C-C-I-O-T-T-I. I'm going to put that link on our site, slmedia.org, so you can find it easily. And if you want to listen to this interview again or to hear the rest of the program, go to slmedia.org slash podcast. Here now to take us out is Fred Cacciotti playing lead guitar on that song that he mentioned, Woman, by Bill King from the album Homestead. listening to Woman by Bill King featuring Fred Cacciotti on lead guitar. On this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour, I'm Deacon Pedro. Check out our website at eselmedia.org slash podcast. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Since the early church, our Catholic tradition has had something to say about acts of self-denial. And if you think that they're not the most popular, well, you'd be wrong, at least among men. Since 2013, men from all over have been participating in a 90-day spiritual exercise that offers them a challenging journey through the book of Exodus. Exodus 90 is based on three pillars, prayer, asceticism, and fraternity. And since its founding, the program has reached more than 50,000 men of all generations and stages of their faith journey. And so to tell us more, I'm now joined by Nathaniel Binversi. He's the director of content for Exodus 19. Nathaniel, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Deacon Pedro, thanks so much for having me on. So I, I, I gave a little explanation there, but it's, it's clearly not enough. So what, what is Exodus 90 exactly? Exodus 90 is one part of a longer journey that men have the chance to go through. It's about making an exodus from where they're at in their life to where the Lord is really leading them to be. Eventually, of course, that is in complete unity with him in heaven. So Exodus 90 is this opportunity for men to become better husbands, better fathers, 
more detached from the things of this world, mm-hmm. more present to the things that are most important in their life, their wife, their children, their work, even when they're at work, but their home when they're at home, their community amongst them as well. And they get to that point by detaching, by living a life of prayer, a life of asceticism, and a life of fraternity. And they do that first for 90 days in a really intense way through Exodus okay. 90, and then ongoing after that through our 20 plus spiritual exercises over a thousand days worth of reflections and sets of disciplines. Right. Okay. So, so, okay. So let's start with the 90 days. So how, how does it work? Yeah. So Exodus 90, again, those three pillars, prayer, asceticism, and fraternity, as you have mentioned, and I as well, we have disciplines in each of those. So you start with prayer every day. You're called to do a daily holy hour, minimum of 20 minutes of silent prayer. If you can't make a full holy hour on a given day, you do that 20 minutes of Mm -hmm. silent prayer. And then from there, you also read through a little bit of the book of Exodus and you have a reflection that goes along with it that serves as your spiritual guide through these 90 days. In addition to that, then you have your sets of disciplines for asceticism, which includes things like no snacking, no sweet drinks, no sweets, no television, no internet use, no social media, no watching sports, no <laughs> hot showers. You take cold showers for these cold 90 days. Showers. Now, of course, you can use your computer. You can use your phone for things that are absolutely necessary, yeah. like work, right? Calling your wife, not calling somebody else's wife. That's not as necessary, right? <laughs> so, you, you know, you keep things in order here. Yeah. And no alcohol for those 90 days as well. And then you have fraternal disciplines also. And those fraternal disciplines include you pick five to seven other men that you're going to do this with. You're going to walk with through this journey. And right. you meet with them every single week as a small group. You hold each other accountable. And then one of those guys you pair up with and you check in with him every single day. This is what it means to make an exit. This is what it means to push away the things of this world, to exit from them, and to regain the strength that the Lord desires us to have through a life of prayer, asceticism, and fraternity. Yeah. Well, okay. So it sounds pretty, pretty clear, pretty tangible. I'm curious though, how did you, and I guess your team, how did you guys even come up with this idea? Yeah. Priest originally came up with this idea when he was a formator in a seminary at Mount St. Mary's Seminary. Mm-hmm. And he knew that his job was to help these men become prepared for the priesthood. And he saw these men are attached to whether it be video games or pornography or yeah. overworking or just being on their cell phone or much, hot showers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the comforts of this world were so strong that it yeah. actually inhibited them from hearing God clearly in their time of holy hour each day. So they couldn't really hear what the Lord's will was for them. Well, if these men struggled. They needed something if they were going to be a good and holy priest. And it was his responsibility to help them. So he just looked, what does Christianity really mean? What does living the Christian life really mean? It means living a life of prayer. It means living a life of asceticism, which defined as acts of Mm self-denial. And it means living a life of fraternity. Christ did all those things. He's the master to be modeled after. We ought to be living those things every single day as he calls us to take up our cross daily if we want to be his disciples. So he led those seminarians through it. Then after three years of amazing success in the seminary, he's like, man, if these guys who are quote unquote, the holy guys struggle with the things of this world, man, what about the husbands and fathers out there or just laymen in general? They probably need it even more. And indeed he was right. Yeah. It's brilliant. Now, is there something about the, the challenge, the physical challenges of this that you think is more attractive or makes it more attractive or more successful for men? I absolutely do. We actually, we meet men where they're at. Most men are like, I will respond to a challenge in this day and age, because in this day and age, you get a trophy for anything, right? Participation ribbon for whatever. You don't have to be challenged. You just get patted on the back. And so men who really desire to be men, they see that and they're like, I I don't want that kind of crap in my life, right? I want to be 
the, the husband that I know I need to be. I want to be the man that my wife married years ago or an attractive man for a future spouse to marry, mm-hmm. right? And so we, we take to challenges really easily. Now, this could be like, hey, okay, so you put this thing in front of them. You're actually luring them in to make an act of, of sin of pride here because they're going to fluff their feathers during these 90 days and yeah. say how holy they are. You're right. They might do that in the first 10, 15, 20 days. But after 35 days, there ain't nobody fluffing their feathers around Exodus 90 because it is that hard. So I'm going to meet that man where he is. He's going to respond to a challenge. Great. But I'm going to lead him into realizing he can't do this alone and that he needs God. And that's the ultimate gift of humility that sets him free to be the man that the Lord's calling him to be. I want to ask you a little bit about what happens after the 90 days. But first, why 90 days? Like, why not like the 40 days of Lent kind of thing? Why 90? So we're pairing it with, yes, we love the liturgical calendar. That's why most of our men do this 90 days leading up to Easter, which this coming year is January 17th. Last year, we had about 15,000 men go from uh, 90 days to Easter up to Easter Mm -hmm. Sunday. However, we also pairing this with science and science and the research on rehabilitation shows us that if you're in rehab, regardless of what you're in rehab for, for 30 days, 40 days, 60 days, that it's actually a really high chance that you're just going to go right back to whatever you had uh, left from. And it's not until 90 days, of course, longer is better, but not until 90 days that they show significant signs of real freedom. Yeah. And what is it? I mean, I I understand the idea of making an exodus, kind of leaving those things behind, but what is it about specifically about the book of Exodus that maybe helps helps men in, in that journey? A beautiful relationship between where the Israelites were then and where we are as men now in terms of our relationship to the world and our relationship to God. The mm-hmm. Israelites were seen by Pharaoh in this foreign land of Egypt, foreign to the Israelites, of course, as, as, as a threat. They were growing in size. They were growing in strength, so says the first chapter of the book of Exodus. Mm-hmm. And so what does Pharaoh do? Well, he oppresses them with taskmasters and heavy burdens. He inflicts this upon them. Well, what's happening to us as Christian men today? Can you really be a Christian in the workplace, in a secular workplace, or in this, or even in a grocery store? I mean, you say, God bless you to somebody, and everybody looks at you like, who's that guy, right? right. Being oppressed. We, we are strong in Christ, and yet we're being oppressed and enslaved, just as the Israelites were. Further than that, the Israelites are being led to freedom by God, right? Through the Red Sea, being led to freedom. Given manna in the desert, quail. Oh my gosh, they're given everything by our Lord who's trying to lead them to the promised land and in a relationship with him. And what do they do in chapter 32 of the book of Exodus? After all those things, they worship a golden calf. Yeah. And they fall back and they complain. And we do the same thing. God has done so much for every single one of us, no matter what our hardship, struggle, or failure is. And I don't want to decrease the struggles and the hardships that we're having right now. Mm -hmm. Those are real. Mm -hmm. But he, in our history, has given us so many blessings and so many graces. If we stop complaining and stick with him, he's going to lead us the ultimate freedom that we were made for. Right. So after the 90 days, you said you have about a thousand days worth of reflections. Um, What happens after the 90 days? Is it something that they can go back and do the same 90 days again? Or is there like a follow-up? Yeah. So many men... Many men do Exodus 90 more than once. They'll come back to it each year, which is a real surprise to us because it's Mm -hmm. pretty dang hard. But of Mm -hmm. course, they realize if they don't do something after the 90 days, they do start to eventually through the year work their way back into the same old habits. And they loved who they were after these 90 days. In fact, we had independent research done for us. Over 90, well, 99% of men, over a thousand men were were surveyed. 99% of men claim to have greater freedom after Exodus 90 than before. Mm-hmm. Find another program that gives a result like that. That is God's grace in action. Not us. That is God's grace in action, right? 
beautiful. So after these 90 days, we know that the scripture and following Christ or the logos through the book of Exodus is a huge gift. And if we continue to follow him in other places, we'll know God more and be in relationship with him. So we have this series through the Bible, starting back at Genesis. After okay. you finish Exodus 90, you start back at Genesis and you work through 20 spiritual exercises. All of them are shorter than these 90 days. They're like 30 to 45 days-ish mm -hmm. on average. They have a different set of disciplines for asceticism. So you're not constantly doing the same thing. We're not asking anybody to take cold showers for three straight years. Yeah. Three months, okay. Three years, not so much. But we switch up the disciplines. They are all still based on a life of prayer, asceticism, and fraternity, because that's just the Christian life. Right. And so you're still meeting with your fraternity as you walk through these, but you're led by the Logos slowly over about three years worth of time, same amount of time the apostles walked with Christ through this period of formation that really should transform your life for the long haul. It's mm -hmm. slow, it's hard, but it should darn well be lasting. Amen. No, it sounds fascinating. So, so there's men listening right now and they're thinking, okay, I want to do this. When's a good time to do it? Is Lent the right time? Can they start now? Do they just go to the website and, and register? How does it work? Yeah, exodus90.com. You can go there at any time and you could sign up. You could start Exodus 90 with your five to seven men at any time. Now, the mm -hmm. most men will start this coming January 17th leading up to Easter. That's an excellent time. You're not going through Thanksgiving. You're not going through, you know, yeah, yeah, whatever else, Christmas. But if you want to, we have some other ways for you to warm up. So you can get into our app after you've gone to Exodus90.com. You created a login where it says sign up, download our, our, the Exodus90 app on the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store. And there we have a seven-day challenge that you can do by yourself okay. even before you have a fraternity. Or you can do it with a fraternity if you like. Right. The seven-day challenge, you can choose one of five disciplines, cold showers, no snacking, uh, uh, silence challenge, a dry challenge, so no alcohol, or a no media challenge. They all have the same readings and reflections as each other. So just pick one. And then you're going to get walked with scripture, that asceticism, 20 minutes of silent prayer each day, and a reflection that really leads you to understanding why prayer, asceticism, and maternity isn't just for Exodus 9, why it's a necessity for us as Christians every day of our life and how to utilize it for the good and the beautiful good of all of our community. Sounds wonderful, Nathaniel. Thank you. Thank you for that. I'm sure that a lot of guys that are listening are going to be going to your website and, and maybe maybe trying the seven-day <laughs> version first and then jumping in in January. Um, thank you for sharing. Thank you for being part of starting this and for, and for uh, sharing uh, with us about it today. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on, Deacon. Nathaniel Benversi. He serves as the director of content for Exodus 90. You can find out more or get involved. Just visit them at exodus90.com. If you missed any part of this conversation or to listen to the rest of the show, just head over to slmedia.org slash podcast. Here now is Every Park Needs a Lark from the wonderful world of Benjamin Cello. Every park needs a lark that sings. Every belly needs a jelly bean. Every tooth needs a youthful glint. Every park needs a lark Every lunch needs a punch that's peach. Every party needs a hearty speech. Every kite needs a bright red string. Every park needs a lark that sings.
That was Every Park Needs a Lark from the wonderful world of Benjamin Cello. Now, have you ever heard of the land of the baptized imagination? Well, if you haven't, then you haven't been to the wonderful world of Benjamin Cello, which is a new, fun, and playful show designed to introduce children to beauty and wonder. The show is full of songs, lessons of faith, scripture, there's puppets and stories with a memorable cast of characters. Imagine Mr. Rogers meets Mary Poppins, but with a biblical focus. The show is created by the Williver family or members of the Williver family, best known for their musical group, the Annie Moses Band. There's so much to talk about. Um, so I'm very excited to be joined now by Benjamin Cello himself, Mr. Benjamin Williver. Benjamin, <laughs> welcome to the Sultanite Hour. Yeah. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. It's so fun. Um, I, tell me quickly, before we talk about the show, I'm curious to know, tell me about growing up. There's seven of you, seven children, family band. Tell What was that like? Yeah. Well, all of my siblings, we began studying classical stringed instruments from an early age. So I started cello at the age of four. Yeah. Um, I'm third in the lineup. Um, and all of us pursued music uh, kind of the way some people pursue Olympic athleticism. We yep. uh, uh, sought out the best conservatories, and uh, three of us ended up at the Juilliard School where we studied there for three years. Wonderful. Then we started the Annie Moses Band because we wanted to have more fun and be more original in, in our musical <laughs> creativity. Yeah. And gosh, that was over 20 years ago, and we've wow. toured all over the world and performed at Carnegie and the Grand Ole Opry House and just, just had a ton of fun performing as a family. So music is definitely a love language, right? You've heard of the five yes, love languages. This is one of our love languages Absolutely. is music. So we love to create, and that uh, really informed Benjamin Cello, which is also yeah. a, a family affair. So Yeah, very much. Now, so Annie Moses was your great-grandmother? That's right. She was our great grandmother. She was a sharecropper in the Great Depression, um, very poor, but she invested her meager means into the musical education of our grandmother, Jane, who had a beautiful singing voice. And Jane right. invested in our mother, Robin, who in turn invested in invested us along with our guys. father, Bill. So, Wonderful. Now, obviously, the show has a biblical worldview. It's a Christian show. Tell, tell, me, tell us a little bit about growing up. Uh, big family, I'm assuming, church on Sundays? Yeah, so we were a very devout family growing up. We prayed together. Um, we would read scripture every morning. Um, and uh, it was prayer was a, an important part of our life. Um, you know, and I, I really look to my parents uh, as being great role, role models for nurturing us in the faith. And that's been something that's been important to us, you know, even as the Annie Moses Band. Um, we've wanted to spread the gospel, you know, be people of faith, be people who are marked by the name of Jesus, uh, be marked by um, really, you know, the teachings of the church. And, and that's what brought us into the church um, in 2013. We all came into the Catholic so the church whole, in that the year. Whole, the whole yeah. family? Everybody that's right. Yeah. To, wow. So, uh, so like yeah, that. so that was a big shift for us, but um, one definitely God breathed and, um, yeah, so so faith is an important part of what we do. And in Benjamin Cello, it's really our flagship effort to communicate the truths of the faith to young children because we just see um, kind of what a, a headwind um, the yes. church and people of faith have in our culture. Yeah. And we see children as being the fertile seedbed to yeah. 
nurture the faith, you know, to keep the flame alive and to, uh, yeah, shape and form them with scripture yeah. and with God's truth. So what, what was that conversation? I imagine you guys around the dinner table. Some of you have young children and you're thinking about like, let's do a show. Like how did the idea of Benjamin Cello come about? Right. So uh, our mother, Robin, who's very visionary, uh, had yeah. this idea for the wonderful world of Benjamin Cello, you know, a Mr. Rogers meets Mary Poppins yeah. hybrid, but with a biblical focus, like you said. And yeah. um, and so we just uh, rolled up our sleeves and got to work. Um, we had a studio space and built uh, two of the sets and filmed a pilot, the very first episode. And we shopped that to a couple of major streaming platforms because we were looking for funders, um, but just met with closed doors. You know, one uh, platform said they didn't want mentor figures. They wanted children to find, you know, their truth. <laughs> wow. And another platform didn't want God to be spoken. Yeah. Uh, and of course, that was just against the vision we had for the show. So we essentially uh, sold a couple of houses, self-funded the first season by buying a warehouse south of nashville wow. renovating it and filmed six episodes and have just been blown away by the response uh you know i think you're used to nice reviews but some of the reviews we get uh, parents are you know saying that they feel the holy spirit yeah. when they watch the show they watch the show with their kids there's such a hunger um, yeah yeah and and i think something we wanted to do from the beginning is we wanted to offer things of quality yep to the people of god you know i think for a long time, there's been this idea that something that's Christian or that's Catholic is inferior mm -hmm. in quality. Mm -hmm. And uh, as the Annie Moses band, you know, we've we played in theaters, we played all over the world. And when we started putting this together, we said, you know what, we're not going to create something that's cheap, that's garish, that's, yep. you know, empty. So much of children's entertainment is that way. We're going to have real instruments. We're going to have real puppets. We're going to have real people. We're yep. going to write in song and dance musical theater numbers, and we're yep. going to have it all come together and be explicitly Christian, be explicitly yeah. worshipful and, of our creator. And uh, that's what we did. So. You And you have done that. It, it's, it's phenomenal. I mean, our listeners obviously can't watch, but I know that as soon as they're done listening, they're going to go to the website and, and watch if they haven't already been watching the show because it is, is spectacular. Just the music production itself is a whole other level. Um, what is the land? What is the land of baptized imagination? Yeah, so that's a phrase that we got from C.S. Lewis, who is one of our favorite uh -huh. authors, and um, and it was uh, he had an experience during his conversion where he talked about his imagination being baptized by a writer named George MacDonald, who was a fantasy writer in the Victorian era, and we just were captivated by that by that. Uh, idea of baptizing your imagination. You know, the early church fathers referred to baptism as illumination. Mm -hmm. And that's a key word for us too. We want to illuminate the imaginations of young children with a biblical vision, something that just, you know, helps them kind of like Plato said, you know, you want your young children to love beauty innately. Yep. And so Benjamin Cello is about us creating a space where children are safe from you know, humanistic messages. It's mm -hmm. a space where they are nurtured with beauty and with tactile authenticity and and one that isn't, you know, frenetic and that doesn't distract them yeah. from the wonder of the world that God has made. So yeah. that's wonderful. So it's it's as you said, a family affair. 
uh, you have some, some yes. of your brothers and sisters that are involved. There's children. I'm assuming it's your children or nieces and nephews that are involved. Yeah. You know, it's really just an act of God. I mean, we couldn't have planned it if we tried, you know. So my brother Alex yeah. plays Professor Wordsworth, who's runs the book endless book tower. And he's very, <laughs> you know, uh, eccentric as a character. Um, and then uh, he has his hungry bookworms, which are puppeted yes. by family and friends um, who are very talented. And um, and then Lolly Popular, who's the caretaker mm -hmm. of Penny Whistle Park. That's the second world in the land of the baptized imagination. She's played by Berkeley Williver, who is my brother Alex's wife. And Berkeley okay. is an amazing illustrator. If you're a parent out there and you haven't bought your Christmas gifts, you should go and check out Berkeley's watercolor and coloring book set because she's a tremendous illustrator. She okay. and Robin have partnered yeah. on a book based yeah. on every park, the poem. Um, so she plays Lolly Popular. And then the third world is a, the big old barn, which is mm -hmm. occupied by Cowboy Roy, who's played by our brother-in-law, James. He's an incredible guitarist and will do real world guitar solos in our episodes that are just oh, blow your mind oh. crazy. Like, like in season two, we've just debuted season two, by the way, yeah. but the finale of season two features a blistering guitar solo by James, who's Cowboy Roy. But in the big old barn, we have uh, four life-size puppets. Um, Don Quixote, who's fastidious and <laughs> kind of British, and uh, Gregory Peck, the rooster, who's uh, you know impeccable and very uh, nosy. And then two sheep, Lambkin and Euphoria, that are very naive right. but sweet. So it's very whimsical. It's very yep. humorous. Um, and we just have a ball. Uh, it filming sounds it like a lot of fun. And and of course, there's the lessons that go along with there. Um, we're going to end the show with a song that is from the Annie Moses band. Um, yeah. It's a it's a Christmas song. I, I'm always reluctant to play Christmas songs during the Advent season, but but this is such a great arrangement of God Resty merry gentlemen um i know that you wanted to, us to play that song tell us a little bit about that arrangement yeah so this arrangement um goes way back to an album we released called this glorious christmas and it's kind of our iconic christmas arrangement um as the annie moses band and uh you know being string players and classically trained mm -hmm. we love cinematic arrangements and our father bill who's behind a lot of the music of benjamin cello arranged this for us and um it's just an unforgettable arrangement and it's wonderful to play. So we wanted to share that with you. It is. It's a great, great uh, song to take us to the end of the show. Uh, Benjamin, so good to meet you. I'm so looking forward to having you guys back on the show and talk more about the work that you do. Um, and thank you for what you're doing for children. I know a lot of parents are going to be happy to find out about the program. Yes. Um, yes. Benjaminchello.com. Absolutely. And you can get everything there. So there you go. Thank you. So Benjamin Wooliver uh, plays Benjamin Cello in the new children's Christian children's show, The Wonderful World of Benjamin Cello. You can find out more, as he said, at Benjaminchello.com. And you can find out about the Annie Moses Band at AnnieMosesBand.com. If you missed any part of this conversation or you want to listen to it again, just head on to our website, EzelMedia.org slash podcast. And here now to take us out um, and get us into the Advent Christmas spirit is the Annie Moses Band with God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. God rest ye merry gentlemen Let nothing you dismay Remember Christ our Savior Who's born on Christmas Day Save us all from Satan's power.
We're listening to the Annie Moses Band with their rendition of God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. And that concludes this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Remember to visit our website, eslmedia.org. That's where you can listen to all our programs and not just podcasts. There's a lot of content there, videos, and our blog. You can also find out everything you want about Salt and Light Media and how you can support our ministry because we can't do this without your financial support. That's eslmedia.org. If you have any comments or questions, you can send them to me. Email me, pedro at eslmedia.org. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Drop me a note, say hello. Thank you for being with us today. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Oh, yeah.